You know, if it were just a matter of where are my keys? Where did I leave my wallet? Anybody seen my phone? Those phrases seem to be just a regular part of my week every week. But if it were just a matter of those kinds of things, the fact that I forget stuff and in actually forgetting more things than I used to um, wouldn't be innocent enough. But perhaps you've had the misfortune of looking into the eyes of someone you love, someone you've known your whole life or almost, and they no longer have the ability to remember, to recall your name, to remember the, the activities and the memories and the years spent together. One of the most meaningful men in my life, John Hacker, I'll have an opportunity in about three or four weeks to get to go to Texas and see him but I will know this, he won't see me. He won't remember me. He doesn't even remember his wife. And if you've had the misfortune of having someone that's really close or in your relational network that has um, Alzheimer's or some form of dementia, you know this pain, but it, it, it kind of brings to the forefront in a very real way just how important the opportunities to remember are. And when you don't, it even becomes more devastating than you think. And we're losing the ability to remember as well as we used to. At least that's what Dan Coffer, um, a, a dementia research expert out of the University of North Carolina Medical School, he said, the more we rely on these types of information ads or sources, parentheses, smartphones and digital devices, the less work and processing our brains actually do. And in other words, our brains do not have to work hard to obtain information, so we don't retain it as well either. I mean, forgetting is normal and a natural part, at least I hope it is, <laughs> of what it means to be human. But when we begin to forget some of the things that are most central to our identities, our, our places of, and sources of meaning, then those things begin to affect how we think incorrectly. And the innocent thought of, wow, I'd really like to have that car is really an indication in my own life. This past week, I pulled my truck into the driveway, backed it back out and pulled it to another spot and realized it didn't leave a spot in the driveway. It's the second vehicle I've ever owned that didn't leave spots. And those of you who have had questionable transportation in your life, you understand what I'm talking about. I can't remember the last time I broke down. It's, I forget the goodness of God right in front of me when I sit there and say, sure would like to have that car. And it's not quite as innocent as we think. The book of Deuteronomy is 
a series of speeches from Moses and his final words of encouragement and exhortation and challenge in terms of what the people need to do and how they should live as they go into the promised land and a reminder of the things that they've learned in the 40 years they've spent together, mostly in the desert. And he will remind them, taking them back to something that I want to look at with you today, of a time when they simply forgot. They let the thoughts of what they knew about God leave their mind. And because of that, Moses will spend a good chunk of Deuteronomy and Leviticus as he gives these speeches and lays out these laws. You will see a phrase over and over and over and over again. And you know what it is? Do not forget. Do not forget. In fact, you can make a pretty good case that there's two really common commands in all of this dialogue. The first one would be, do not fear. And the second one would be the second F, do not forget. Let me show you a couple times. Deuteronomy 4, verse 9. Watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. In fact, teach them to your children and to their, the children after them. Deuteronomy chapter nine, remember this, and never forget how you aroused the anger of the Lord your God in the wilderness. From the days you left Egypt until you arrived here, you have been rebellious against the Lord. And he ties the rebellion of the people in the desert to their propensity of forgetting. It's not as innocent as you and I would think. I wanna pray for us and uh, mostly for me and uh, that I would remember what I have to say. <laughs> but as we do, I'd like for us to remember some things together in our prayer time and just do a prayer bomb to heaven around a couple of different things. So if you pray with me, please. And as we bow our heads, if you would just silently in your own way, if you would pray to the Lord of heaven for Josh Fox and his family. We sang two of his songs this morning and he's in Nashville pursuing a career as a Christian songwriter. And the truth is, is that industry is really hard to break through. Unless the hand of God does it, he won't do it and he will fail. If you could take a moment, Dave Lewis, who was just playing bass for you, his wife, Tracy, is very sick, battling an infection in her abdominal area. If you could pray for her health, that there would, her body would regain strength and fight off infection. Someone came to your mind, someone you know and love who is ill or battling with some kind of hardship, go ahead and pray for them. Remember them. God, thanks that you hear all prayers at 
all at the same time with equal intensity and attention. And so we ask that you would um, use this time, whether people are watching online, whether they're in a tent, whether they're in this room, whether they come in weeks and even months later to watch it, that God, it would be an instrument in your hand that draws the attention to you, to the message you have of love and faithfulness towards us. We commit our time to that purpose, asking you to use it, energize it, empower it for our good, please. In Jesus' name, amen. There are two really dark moments in the Hebrew scriptures or what we call our Old Testament. There are two moments that are pretty dark. There's more than that. There's a lot of bad stuff that happens. But in terms of the nation of Israel um, and predating the nation of Israel, all of mankind, the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden when sin enters into the world is the one great dark moment that gets referred to over and over and over again. But the second most um, referred to moment throughout the Old Testament scriptures is the failure of the Israelites at the base of the mount where God is talking to Moses when they build a calf and hold a worship service for this idol. It's in Exodus chapter 32. I just wanna walk you through this passage and see a few things about how, what happened in these folks' lives and then draw some applications for us about how to remember better and what it might be to begin actively um, taking care of our loss our refusal to remember as well as we should. Exodus 32, it says, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down, now just for context, he's been gone 40 days, okay? They spent 400 years in slavery. But when they saw that Moses had been so long in coming back down off the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, there's another interesting thing. Moses brought us out of Egypt now. 77 times in the Hebrew scriptures here, it'll say God brought us out of Egypt, except here. <laughs> they, it's Moses' fault that he brought us out. And so there, it's Moses who brought us out of Egypt and we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered, take off the gold earrings that your wives and your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. And those gold earrings, you're wondering, where did a bunch of slaves get so much gold? Well, when they went out um, from Egypt, they actually plundered the Egyptians. The Egyptians wanted them to leave so bad after those 10 plagues that they gave them gold and silver, jewelry and other things to get out of town, get out of here. And so what should have been as they pulled these earrings off or these necklaces off, what should have been a reminder of where they had been and how they had gotten these possessions didn't seem to work. So all the people took off the earrings and brought them to Aaron. And he took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf. 
Now, one of the significant gods of the Egyptian culture was a god named Hathor. It was a female goddess and she was a calf, part human, mostly calf, mostly cow. And she was the goddess of fertility and party and drunkenness and revelry and all of those kinds of things. Sex, she's very sexual in her orientation in terms of what's going on. Now, when Aaron saw this, oh, then, forgot, I got to read you this one. He faces it into the calf, fashioning it with a tool. And then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Help, just a minute. Okay, imagine you've been, your background is is in slavery in Egypt. You see God systematically destroy the Egyptian religious culture. By the plagues that go, they are each intentionally defeating and, and, and demolishing the strength, the supposed strength of these false gods in the Egyptian culture, all the way up to Ra, the sun god. And then finally, with the Passover, they see God's angel of death pass over their own homes. They can look and see their their firstborn children still alive because of what they've experienced. And then they leave and they begin to leave and they see the Egyptians behind them and they see the sea apart and, you know, Charlton Heston lead them through and all of those kinds of things starts to happen. And then the, the sea folds in behind them and destroys all of the Egyptian army. And then they've, they just have to wait a little longer than they thought. Like well, it's been 40 days. And so they fashion a gold cow. And it moves the people to say, here is the God who brought us out of Egypt. Now, before you you know, slam them for the lousy people you think they might be. Let me just remind you, as I have been reminded in my own preparation through this passage, that I am so susceptible to this same movement in my life. It is so easy for me to forget what God has done for me. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, this is amazing, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord Yahweh. The covenant name of God that was given to Moses in the burning bush, Yahweh. Not just, uh, not Elohim, which would have been a common name for any God. This is the covenant God of Israel. We're going to take this calf and allow it to be a worship service. And somehow we're going to blend a little God talk in it in such a way where we kind of justify it in our own minds. Wow, have I ever done that? So the next day, the people rose early, sacrificed burnt offerings, presented fellowship offerings, 
Those are things that they had been instructed in with Yahweh. Afterward, they sat down to eat, and this is where it spins. They sit down to eat and drink, and they got up to indulge in what this translation calls revelry. It's not good. It violates the, the sanctity of the families and the relationships that God has so essentially what happens is God says, you better, you better go down there and check on them. And from God's perspective, verse eight, they have been quick to turn away. What, what the people considered is so long. Moses has been gone so long. In God's economy, it was just, one day they were faithful and then they are gone. They have turned. And they've made for themselves an idol in the shape of a calf. And there, right there, is the danger of forgetting. The danger of forgetting is that forgetting erodes your faithfulness. And it becomes a pathway to idolatry. And idolatry is taking good things actually really, sometimes really, really good things and simply elevating them to a position of prominence. Something that's good, it's fine that it's second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth in your life, it dissolves, it deserves to be there, but somehow you take that and you lift it up. You lift it up beyond where it should be and you make good things like cars and health and jobs Spouses, children, grandchildren. You make those things more important than they are. And it begins with what we see as such an innocent lack of thought. Just forgetting. Acts chapter 7. So you go to the New Testament and as it refers back to it, it says, Our ancestors refused to obey. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. See, they took what God had provided and instead of ascribing that to God who brought them out of Egypt, who delivered them, now they start to say other things. This calf now did it and they turn their hearts back to Egypt, which is, that's so difficult for us to understand. And yet it seems to be where our hearts that are prone to wonder tend to turn to. We turn back to the familiar. Now, Doctors will tell us that forgetting is actually a medical thing as well and that there's more to, the, to forgetting than this. But they'll say there's three primary reasons we tend to forget outside of some kind of a medical disease. And it's decay and displacement, interference and retrieval failure. Now, let me walk you through these and actually show you how thousands of years earlier than the medical advancement. Now, forgetting is more than this. So there's some doctors listening probably somewhere going, oh my gosh, once again, the bald head guy just simpled it down to, listen, I, I speak at about junior high level. So if, that, this is, this, if this works for you, then thanks for coming. And if, you're, and if there's more to it, if you'd like to get more to it. 
This is how forgetfulness works. First, it's this idea of decay and displacement. It's when ideas and experiences are not pondered or rehearsed. They decay from our memory and eventually are displaced or replaced with different memories. If there's something in your mind that you're trying to be able to remember and you don't rehearse it or ponder and think on it, then it'll eventually, because it just isn't thought about, it will eventually slide farther and farther back in the memory banks and eventually be displaced and replaced. And that's why God was so intentional about what he gave the nation of Israel in Deuteronomy, knowing their propensity to forget. He said, this is what I wanna make sure you do in Deuteronomy 11. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land of the Lord, and the Lord swore to give your ancestors as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. What is God saying there? He's not saying that you literally, although some um, sects of Judaism would actually, will actually bind, they will bind uh, little packs of the word of God on their head and wrap them on their arms. And it's part of what they do as they pray. I don't think that's really what it's saying here. It's saying, keep this in front of you. Think on this often. Write it on your doorpost. What's that mean? As you come in and as you go out, you are reminded of that. You keep the word of the Lord in front of you. And if you don't, it's the natural thing is it will decay and it will be displaced and replaced. Think about just some ways. There are some promises that you might have. I have a three by five card that sits on my desk at home and it sits right there. I can, it's right there, right there. And it reminds me of the promise that God has given me for us. And I look at it every day. I write things in the fronts of my journal because I know I have this propensity to forget. And so when I go to my journal, which I go to almost every day, I see these things in front. The, the application for us is that the spiritual disciplines, which seem so much of the time, a waste of time. You, you, you go to the scriptures and you read it and you say, I've read that before. I didn't get any quiver in my liver. So this ain't working for me. I gotta read something else. No, you just reminded yourself of what you knew. You just obeyed the scriptures and kept it in front of you. Large portions, small portions, a sentence that allows you to, to live your day in such a way that you're reminded and you keep this stuff in front. Otherwise, I promise you, it will, it will decay. Unless it's a song, in my experience, unless it's a song, I'm gonna lose it. And for some reason, songs are different. I can hear a song tomorrow that I've only listened to 
when I was smoking weed as a teenager. Who knows what state of mind I was in, but I can still remember every word. So with small exceptions, you're going to lose it unless you put it in front of you. The application, those spiritual disciplines, it's not to make you feel different. It's to help you think different and change you from that way. Discay and displacement. The second one is interference. Interference, and some of you will really recognize this. I certainly do. When past ideas keep us from learning new ones and remembering them. Some of us have forgotten the truth because of interference. The guilt and shame of our past and what we've done and what's been done to us has interfered. It has broken the timeless truths about our identity in Christ. And, and for some reason, those thoughts are more dominant in our minds. And that the application for this is the recognition of the truth of the scriptures. Romans 12, verse two, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How are you transformed? How are you transformed? By the renewing of your mind. By taking and displacing some of those bad thoughts and replacing them with the truth then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, is good, pleasing, perfect will. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. Here's the discipline that I would encourage you with, and I would say that you need to have if this, if this seems to bother you or if interference seems to keep you from remembering well, as soon as you begin to think about your identity in Christ, you are immediately blasted with thoughts of who you're not and how you failed and all of these other lies that come at you. Then you, what you need to do is have a well-ordered past. And what do I mean by that? I mean that you, you, you take the truth of the scriptures and you order your past around it. And if you're saying, man, I wouldn't even begin to know how to start. Yes, you do now, because I'm about to tell you. Start at Romans chapter three, verse 21, and go through Romans chapter eight and just make it, you, you, you can read that in four minutes, five minutes. Read that every day. And learn that in Romans chapter 3, it teaches us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You, you accurately assess, if you say, man, there's so much sin in my life, accurately, that's right. But you don't stop there. You go to chapter 5, and therefore we've been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You go on over to verse 8, and it says, for God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were as far away as we could be, Christ died for us at that very time. You go over into chapter six and you see that the wages of sin, yes, are death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Then you see the, the hassle and the, the, the struggle and the, the work of chapter seven. If Paul, who wrote more books of the New Testament than anybody else, if he says in chapter seven, woe to me, the very good I wanna do, I have trouble doing. 
and the very bad I want to avoid, I seem to slip into, then that means you're in good company. And then you get to chapter eight and you realize there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit that gives life has set us free from the law of sin and death. And it goes on to say that no matter what you do, no matter what you think, no matter what you say, nothing can separate you from the love of God. You just start at Romans 3.21 and you just work your way through chapter eight and you do it over and over and over again, replacing the thoughts and the lies and well ordering your past according to what Jesus has done for you. And then finally, the medical field says there's also retrieval failures. <laughs> that sounds a lot better than you just slap forgot, right? A retrieval failure is when the necessary cues are not present in our lives or we're surrounded by the wrong cues, external or internal. Some of us have forgotten the truth because of this retrieval failure, the chaotic pace of the Silicon Valley, the, the own mess of our past. It just, it's inundated. We're inundated with these kinds of thoughts and these pressures that, that the kind of cues that need to be in your life to remind you of the good things are taken away. What would that look like? Well, for me, it just happened a few minutes ago when you sang over me, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And I listened to your voices and I was just overwhelmed with the thought, who am I that I'm about to get up and get to talk to y'all? And your presence, you're declaring aloud the truth of who God is, is a cue in my life that reminds me of the deep, rich fellowship that we have in Christ. Colossians chapter three said, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the spirit, singing to, the, to God with gratitude in our hearts. We are reminded this day in Pentecost where we celebrate Pentecost today in our church calendar that the spirit of God is, comes alongside us and reminds us and helps us be what we are surrounded to be. The application for retrieval failure is to put into your lives the kind of cues that remind and pull out the best of you. We don't gather to gather, simply to, to gather together, simply so we can just see one another and wave and, and just have a few things to do. We come together to serve as living cues I just thought of that. that just, I didn't write that down. Dang, I got to remember that for next service. We come together as living cues, reminding one another of the faithfulness of God. 
And this does not have any small result. It guards us from idols, which is probably the mother of all sin. So if 1 John 5 says, dear children, keep yourselves from idols, what are your golden calves? What are your pressures? Second Timothy chapter three says that we are to mark this and it's actually to be thoughtful, to know, to perceive And that if we don't do this, James says that if we, if we can't think of it and remind ourselves and remember what God has done in our lives, that we are like people who look at our image in the mirror and as soon as we walk away, we forget what we look like. That we are commanded to work out this process of making sure that we remember. But, okay, here's the best news of all. Even if you forget, God will never forget you. Never. Isaiah chapter 49. Can a woman forget her nursing child? that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb. Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. So if you're feeling all this pressure, like, man, I just, I don't know where to start. I need to, these applications in my life. I'm, I'm guilty of all those um, remembering errors. Relax, because here's the truth. Although God can choose and seems to choose to forget some things like your sin, he will never forget your name. And in fact, he gives such care over that that he's gonna give you a new name someday. If you can imagine that his, he's gonna know you so well and the deepest, most beautiful parts of who you are. He's gonna call that out when he renames you. He will never forget you. He is patient with our careless thoughts. In fact, when he gave the instructions over the church, there's very few things that he actually asked us to be sure to do. But one of them that he made a big deal about was communion. And what is communion? It is a reminder. <laughs> it is a word picture that is tactile and involves multiple senses so that we can be reminded over and over and over again what must be central to all of the gatherings that we do, that Christ took on flesh, came down, took on physical being, 
bore our sins, suffered the Calvary's cross, died for our sins and rose on the third day. The, the communion reminds us of that suffering. It serves as a living cue, which tastes horrible. At least these, I can't wait. This one of the great things about post COVID will be putting these things forever out of our minds. But it serves as a living cue of just what Jesus has done for us. Pulling out the clear layer, be careful that you don't grab too much. Paul writes in the book of 1 Corinthians to the church in Corinth that what he received from the Lord, he passed on to us. And the instruction that he received was that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he grabbed a piece of bread. When he had given thanks for it, he broke it and said, this bread is my body which is for you, serving as a cue, a reminder of my willingness to die on your behalf. Take and eat in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took a particular cup and he said, this cup represents a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat the bread or you take the cup, you proclaim my death, you remind one another, you serve as a cue of the Lord's death until he comes back again. Take this in the assurance of his grace and forgiveness. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that in several different ways you demonstrated that you are patient towards our weak minds. We confess to you that we turn to you mostly to feel better and not to be changed. We confess to you that, that thoughts of you and great works on our behalf in our past have long been replaced and displaced because we did not rehearse them. We did not remind ourselves of them. God, I ask that beginning with this communion and for several days that people here listening to my voice, that they would be reminded of acts of kindness on their behalf and they would serve as cues and, and reminders of just how gracious you have been. As simple as a truck that doesn't leak oil, as simple as a, 
as a child who wakes in the morning with laughter, as simple as a, the ability to draw breath, to sense our own hearts beating and know that that is a gift from you. God, may we put in place the kinds of reminders and disciplines that keep you and your goodness in the past in the forefront of our minds so that we can move with confidence into the future and live this day with joy that comes only from you. May it be so in Jesus' name.